As you're having your seat, if you will open your Bible, we'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 today. Really just going to look at one verse, but we're going to drill down into it today. Let me ask you this question. What has God called you to in life to be a part of that is bigger than you? In what areas of your life are you doing something that's just bigger than you? God-sized dreams will often collide with our senses of fear and logic. God-sized dreams will unmask our insufficiencies and they will lead us to lean on the complete sufficiency of God. God-sized dreams require that we do a transfer of faith from depending upon myself to depending upon God because they put us in situations that are beyond ourselves. And so today, I want to talk to you about one aspect of faith that, that I think is often ignored in our hand-sanitized, safety-first society. So what is this aspect of faith? I want to talk to you about courage. Faith always involves facing your fears and finding courage. So for Noah, courage meant that he was going to endure ridicule, that he was going to be lonely, he was going to be the only one doing this for many, many years, yet he faced his fear. For Abraham, courage meant that he was going to have to leave home, go to a land that God would show him. He and his family were going to have to uproot everything and change their entire comfort zone. For Sarah, Abraham's wife, courage meant she was going to have to have a baby in her 90s. I mean, now that's crazy, is it not? I mean, Abraham and Sarah had a baby in their 90s, and then they, they doubled the median age in the Rooted Life Group class overnight right there, the young, the young couples class. Joseph, courage meant running from Potiphar's wife who was trying to seduce him and get him to do the wrong thing. For Moses, courage meant that he would have to go face to face with what was probably the most powerful leader in the world at that time, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and say, let my people go. For Joshua, courage meant that he would lead a ill-prepared army into battle to take a land that God was going to give them. And at times, he would have to uh, unleash some illogical plans that God had said, this is what you're supposed to do because God was going to reveal himself through Joshua. For Ruth, courage meant she was going to lose her husband as a young woman. She was going to leave her homeland. She was going to begin a new life. For Esther, courage meant she was going to have to go into the king of Persia and ask him to help her people be rescued from genocide. For David, the ruddy little shepherd boy from Bethlehem, courage meant that he was going to have to take down the narcissistic giant named Goliath. In life, there are good fears and bad fears, and then there's everything in between. And a lot of life is shaped by how we deal with our good fears and our bad fears. There's also the reality of what you're afraid of, and then there's all these fears that you manufacture up in your brain. You ever do that? And a lot of life is about everything in between. But how you deal with your fears in life will often shape everything in between. Are God's power, love, and wisdom active in your life? And today, today, 
I want to help you find the spirit of courage. And what's more is I believe God wants you to be a person of courage. So look at this verse, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. For God has not given us, there it went away. So where is it there? Okay, is it back? For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Let's say that together on the count of three, a one and a two and a three. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Now, this was written to a young man by the name of Timothy, and Timothy made a huge mistake early in his life. Timothy wanted to become a leader. Big mistake, Timothy. There's a book that John Bassanio wrote on leadership one time, and one of the chapters says, uh, so you want to be a leader, eh? (laughs) There's always going to be some hardship in leadership. What is leadership? Leadership is influence. Now, when you think about leadership that way, at every, every single person in this room, at some level, you are a leader. You may be a good leader. You may be a bad leader. You may lead on a large scale where your leadership decisions affect hundreds if not thousands of people, or you may lead on a smaller scale where your leadership is primarily displayed through some children in your home, some grandchildren, an influence that you might have in a life group class. Whatever it might be, everyone in here is a leader. Well, Timothy was called to be a servant leader in God's church. He was called specifically to be a pastor. Now remember this, when God calls you to do something, you will be criticized. I've said this quite a few times, but do you want to be criticized in life? Do something. Just do something. Whatever. Whatever you do, people will have opinions. They will sometimes say mean things. And you know what? It really doesn't even matter how good of a leader you are. You're going to face this. That's why Jesus said, rejoice and be glad whenever people persecute you on account of me, because that's the same way they treated the prophets before me. But you can walk on water and heal the blind. Do you remember Jesus? He walked on water, healed the blind, fed the 5,000, lived a sinless life, and yet the religious leaders of the day said about him, he's from the devil. They schemed together in the shadows to have him crucified. Being a consequential person, somebody who makes impact, it requires that we have courage. Being a consequential person requires that you are willing to dig somewhere deep with inside you and find a power that goes beyond you to say the things and do the things that others are too scared to do or say. It's really easy to have big opinions. In fact, the world in which we live now gives everybody a microphone. It's called social media. We can have really big opinions from the stands. But it takes courage to actually get in the game and do something. But if you don't, if you, I mean, hear this. In your life, do something. Be a consequential person. Well, Timothy had been called by God to be a pastor. And Paul was his mentor. In fact, he had laid hands on Timothy along with the church and had ordained Timothy to the ministry. Now, just a side note here about fear. Overcoming your fears is often a team effort. 
I'm very mindful of this as I talk about this subject for the next few weeks. Fear can be a very complex thing. Sometimes it's rooted in things that happened in our childhood, things that people have done to us that were violations. And so fear can be a complex thing. And often it does require God to put some people around you who can help you in life. Sometimes that might be a parent, a godly friend, a teacher. There are times where it could be a godly counselor or even a physician that comes alongside you and helps you as you deal with the fears that you're going through in life. So what is your big challenge today? All right, last night, last night, are you with me here? Okay, zero back in this way, okay? Person sleeping next to you, just wake them up. Last night when you woke up and you tried to go back to sleep, what, what anxiety was really trying to wrestle, get into your brain? What was trying to keep you awake? Timothy's was swallowing hard because God had called him to be a pastor. And so his mentor, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, reminds him and us of several things. The first thing is this. God has not given you a spirit of fear. Now, last week we talked about there are good fears and there's bad fears. Normally, when we talk about fear, we automatically go to the negative. But fear is actually not a bad thing. It's good to have a healthy sense of fear. Last summer, the family and I went to the beach. First time my kids had ever seen the ocean. Technically, it was a gulf, not an ocean, but, you know, it was ocean-like. So every time I go to the beach and I see the ocean, I am amazed by one thing. How powerful and big the ocean is. You go out swimming in it. You just try to go out a little ways in it, and you are quickly reminded that this is bigger than you and more powerful than you, and you could disappear in that water and no one would ever see you, right? It's good to have a healthy fear. Fear causes us to be alert. Fear tells us, okay, you might want to be careful right here. Uh, Fear is not a bad thing. Now, one of the biggest forms of idolatry in America today is that we will reshape God into our buddy. So when it comes to idolatry, which goes all the way back to to the early days of the Bible, most of us in our living room, we don't have wood statues that we've carved that we're bowing down and worshiping. What we usually do is we will reshape God into an image that that is more palatable, an image that we like more, an image that maybe is, is like us, and we'll walk alongside that image that we have of God. So many times we we develop this image that God is our buddy or our co-pilot, and we respect God. We think, okay, well, God has a good opinion, but we don't really worship God. And last week we saw that throughout the Old Testament, we were told time and time again that we are to have a healthy fear of the Lord that leads us not just to say, okay, God, you're my co-pilot, I'll let you join my life but a healthy fear of the Lord that says, God, you are my all in all. I need you. I I worship you. So what does it mean to have a fear of the Lord? Well, first of all, it means I recognize that he's more powerful, bigger, holier, that he is beyond me. And God is the one who gives you life, sustains your life, 
God is the one who brings you to eternal life. I mean, there's, there's a natural fear of that power that God has within him. But then as believers, we draw near to God and we experience a relationship with him and that power becomes security. Are you hearing me here? That power of God becomes a security in your life because God has promised over and over again, nothing's going to separate you from my love. And so as we go through life, we have the security of knowing who, what, when, where we are in God. And there's a third aspect to that fear of the Lord, and that is as I draw close to God, as I worship Him, I, I love Him more and more. I know Him. He becomes my, my worldview. He becomes the anchor of my soul. And we become almost frightened of ever living one day or one moment apart from His presence. The whole idea of pushing away from the love of God becomes a terrifying idea to the believer. And Solomon said, this healthy fear, this good fear of the Lord is the beginning of all understanding. Until you get to that point, it's really hard for you to make sense of life because until you get to that point, you're always nervous, you're always anxious, you're always fearful, and you're always trying to find meaning within yourself instead of meaning from the one who created you. Now what this means for us is that for the first time in your life, you don't have to wake up tomorrow being scared. What this means is that God gives you a power that can give birth to courage, that God gives you a love that frees you to be a giver rather than a taker, that God gives you a wisdom that can clear up the confusion and bring clarity to the grind of your life. Secondly, spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is real. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but understand there is a spiritual world. And in that spiritual world, the evil one is continually trying to get you to be afraid. One of my good friends is a charismatic Christian. He's a good guy, loves the Lord. Uh, he and I, we, we have a great relationship, and we, we both love Jesus together, but he's a little bit more expressive in his, in his worship, and he talks a lot about the power of the Holy Spirit. I, on the other hand, am a little bit more of a introverted Baptist. <laughs> you may not realize, sometimes people are surprised by this because I speak often. I, I love preaching. I'm comfortable in front of groups of people, but, but I'm actually quite shy. I'm actually quite shy. In fact, in order to do what I'm doing right now, I have to be alone. I have to be alone just to think. And my, my buddy, man, he's Mr. Extrovert, and he's very, very expressive. And so I was talking to him about this the other day. I said, you know what? I could never be a, a charismatic. He said, well, why not, Lash? I said, well, number one, I'm scared of snakes. Okay, so right there, I'm, I'm out right there because I'm, I'm scared of snakes. Number two, I don't think my arms are strong enough. Uh, you know, I, whenever we say, I don't mind anybody. By the way, I don't mind if you lift your hands and sing and that sort of stuff. Uh, but but uh, whenever we sing and, and we lift my, you know, I, I can do goalpost, the goalpost sign, for about two verses. 
and then I move to carrying the TV, carrying the TV. You know, my, my arms just aren't strong enough to hold goalposts for an entire worship service. So maybe it's because I have so much muscle, right? So they're just so they're so strong from all these muscles uh, that I, I can't do that. But a lot of you are a little bit like me in that you're, you're, you're thinkers. In fact, we live in an area where there's a ton of engineers, and I've joked before, I need to give the sermon one Sunday, let you analyze it, and then talk about it the next Sunday. We'll have invitation the next week after you've analyzed it. So a lot of you are, are like me. You like to think, and, and it's easy for us just to forget about the fact that God's powerful and that as believers, He has placed the Holy Spirit within us, and the power of the Holy Spirit is supposed to flow through us. And we forget that there is this spiritual realm, and spiritual warfare is a real deal. Spiritual warfare is real. And Satan is constantly trying to get you to believe his lies. Jesus said about Satan that his native language is lying. And so what he tries to do is he tries to handcuff you to lies so that he can arrest you and then throw you into a prison of fear. Satan is a pathological liar. And as a pathological liar, here's what he does. He doesn't just throw out some idea out of left field. He takes truth and then he twists it. Just that little twist here, that little twist there, and eventually he gets into your head. And one of the things that the evil one loves to do is he loves to take all the fears and all the pains of your past and exploit them. And as he does that, he begins to drain you of courage, drain you of faith, and fill you with fear and doubt and stop you from being the person that God has created you to be. Now, here's a great spiritual exercise. Do this sometime in your devotional time. Do this sometime when you feel that anxiety swelling up within you. Identify the lies that you have been told. Just take out a piece of paper. Identify the lies that you have been told and then replace it with the truth of the Word of God. For example, you were told by a parent that you are unloved and unlovable. Well, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, and that includes you, and motivated by that love for you and me and everybody else, He gave His one and only Son so that we might have eternal life. That's the reality of how much you are loved. You were told that your ugly past could never be forgiven, but the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You were told that you're a loser, that you'll never change, you'll never amount to anything, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. You were told there's no hope for you, you don't have any future, but Jeremiah 29 11 says, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord's plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. You were told you can't do anything right, but Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 says, I can do all things, not 
through my own strength, but through Christ who gives me strength. You were told, you're stupid. You just don't have much wisdom. You just don't have any insight. But James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, go to God and ask for it. And God's not going to mock you. He's not going to say, why don't you know this? Instead, he's going to give generously to all without finding fault. You were told, well, I, I don't have any talent. I don't have anything to contribute. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11 says that for every believer in Jesus Christ, God has given you a spiritual gift. This is a gift that God has given to you from above through the Holy Spirit to be used to empower the body of Christ to do the work of the gospel. God has blessed you. God has equipped you. Everyone in the room is a custom-made creation of God. We come at it from different angles sometimes, but together we make up a body, and you have a talent to contribute. As a church, we don't hoard. We don't hold back on the gifts, experience, and talents that God has given us. Instead, we invest them into the kingdom of God. You were told you're only going to give up in the end, but Psalm 54 verse 4 says surely God is my help the Lord is the one who will sustain me I don't have to quit I don't have to stop I don't have to fall backwards I don't have to be paralyzed by fear instead I'm going to keep going you were told uh, you're too scared to do anything but Psalm 23 and verse 4 reminds us that when that young shepherd boy went through the valley of the shadow of death he didn't have to fear any evil because God was with him and the Lord prepares a table before us even in the presence of our enemies you were told you know what God's going to abandon you and leave you on your own just like everybody else that has ever come into your life he's just going to come and he's going to go and you're going to be left all alone but Jesus says you know what I will never leave you nor forsake you just before he commissioned his disciples to go out and be the church he says and I am with you always to the very end of the age and then he granted us the power of the Holy Spirit and God has not given you a spirit of fear instead he's given you a spirit of power of love and sound mindedness and that all comes through the Holy Spirit of God. Replace the lies with the truth. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of, look at what he's given us, power, love, sound judgment. Let's talk about those quickly. Power comes from a Greek word, dunamites. It's the same word from which we get dynamite. Dynamite's powerful. It's even a bit dangerous. Young mothers do not decorate the nursery in dynamite. I'm going with a TNT theme. No, that, that just doesn't work. Why? Because it's not safe. And God says, you, you remember all that fear of the Lord stuff? As you walk with me, as you worship me, I, I, I'm bringing all that power into your life, and all that power is behind you. So listen, when I call you to something, when God says, this is what I want you to do, His power is backing you in it. So don't be scared. Go wreak some havoc. Get out there. I mean, do something. God's power is backing you, and His authority is backing you, so go advance the gospel. Secondly, He gives us a spirit of love. Now think about love in, in the earthly sense. If you look at it in culture, it's generally framed in a very selfish, it's all about me mindset. So we say things like this, I want someone who makes me happy. I, I want someone who makes me a better me. I want somebody who gets me. I want someone who cares about me. Often when we frame love, we frame it as someone's going to come into my life and they're going to help complete my life. Now, I want all that for you, okay? I want all that for you. 
You know how you get it? You get it by being a giving person, not a taking person. And when you look at love in Scripture, the agape love that God talks about in Scripture, it's a giving love. It seeks to do what is best in the best interest of those that you love. Now, sometimes that means speaking the truth in love, but you're always seeking the best interest of others, and you're willing to give yourself in an act of love. The symbol of biblical love is what? The cross. Can you think of a more sacrificial act than the cross? It's the symbol of biblical love. Now, how on earth can little old me share that kind of love? Catch this. We are free to share love when you understand that you have received the unconditional love of God, who is love. And nothing can separate you from the love of God. You are His forever and ever. You see, here's what keeps us from really giving ourselves in love. Here's what keeps us from going all in, is we are afraid that people are going to take advantage of us or hurt us. And a lot of those fears are valid because in your life, people have taken advantage of you and they have hurt you. And that sometimes leads to exasperated, exploited sense of fear because you're afraid it's going to happen again and you don't want to be hurt. But please hear me on this. I I understand that. It's happened to me as well. But when you realize that your who, what, why, and how, and when are eternally secure in God, then you can be self-secure enough to extend yourself to others in love. And that's when you really begin the experience the beauty of being alive. God says, that's the spirit I've given you. I've given you a spirit that is willing to extend yourself in love and live in community with other people that you love. I remember the moment that I knew God had called me to come to Murphy Road Baptist Church. At the time, I was serving as a director of missions. I was a missionary. My, My calling, my ministry at that time was to help start new churches, help strengthen existing churches, help churches during times of transition. Stacy and I were happy. The Lord was blessing. Uh, it was just a really good time in life. And then we began praying about, all right, Lord, do you want us to have a home base? Because I love discipling people. I love seeing people grow week after week after week and being in the same place. And I was preaching in a different place all the time. So one night I'm at Elmont Church in Van Austin, Jim Poole, was pastor there. Jim's actually a member of our church now, but he was pastor there, and we were having a big meeting of of all the churches, and we were just celebrating what God was doing, and it had been an incredible night, and at the end of that, we we stood together, and we, we sang a hymn, and all this, God had been working in my heart, and that night, he just confirmed it. You ever had that moment in your life when you had all this confusion, you were kind of wondering, what God, what do I do? What what steps am I supposed to take? And then God just brings clarity to the confusion. And I remember my my charismatic friend would have been proud of me because I just opened my arms. (laughs) And I surrendered to God. And I was like, yes, God, I'll go. I'll do what you've called me to do. Before, I had some confusion because I wasn't sure what to do, but afterwards, my mind was clear. I had sound judgment because I knew this was the will of God. By the way, I'm I'm not here as your pastor because I need a job. I'm here as your pastor because God has called me here. Pastoring is not something you do. It's something you are. And God's called me to pastor this church. 
So, you know, there's times when life gets confusing. You ever been there? Not sure what to do. Not sure who to trust. Not sure how you're going to make it. Not sure where the energy is going to come from. And then God speaks. And He gives you His Spirit. He secures you in His love. And He brings clarity to the confusion. And you have sound-mindedness. And here's what I believe about you. I believe that you can become one of the rarest things life has to offer. A person of courage. A person that stands for something. Demonstrates love in all that you do. But has courage. Pushes through fear. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Love you guys. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Musicians are going to come. Father, I thank you for what you're speaking to our hearts about. I feel like we're at a season, Lord, in our lives and in our church's history where, where you're really reviving us, drawing us closer to you, beginning new chapters in our church's life, and in some cases, uh, calling us to to go all in, calling us to to take the baton and run the laps of faith and to trust you and to follow you, to mature in you and not be satisfied with just who we are, but wanting to be the people that you've called us to be. And I pray this for my friends. Lord, I pray that you will help us to be people of courage. Realizing that courage doesn't mean that all the fears just go away. It means that we keep pushing through the fears to do your will. Help us, Lord, not to have that power of spear that grips us and just causes us to be frozen in time. But may we have the power of the Holy Spirit that propels us in love and leads us to truth.